See, in my head, Trapper was always a clown. I don't know why. A Trapper was a clown just sounds, seems appropriate, you know? It's either a clown name or it's the sixth Marx brother. I'm not sure. Could be both. Either way, either way, I don't know what the hell that has to do with a podcast that talks about, like, movies and music. I don't know. Welcome to fucking Trapo! <laughs> oh, God. Hey, everybody, welcome. It's Friday night. It's time to fuck with Trapo. Are you ready for some dick blood? <laughs> I mean, like, you're trying to introduce a podcast to a general audience. People just talk on podcasts. They don't do that. And you know what? I don't want it. Speaking of Trapo, hey everybody, welcome to the latest episode of, uh, what's it, what the, I just literally forgot the name of the show. I said Trapo 3,000 times, and I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> what's the show called? <laughs> you said it so many times it didn't make sense in your brain, and it just removed itself <laughs> from your brain. Oh, uh, what are we talking about? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's time for the show that talks about stuff on purpose. You know what you love it. You can't get enough of it. It's Trapo. I'm Dustin. Okay. And today we are here for another album exchange because uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but we here at the Chap House we're uh, pretty into music. We love grooving to sweet tunes. That's our that's our whole thing. Kind of what we do. And uh, we did spend a lot of our lives just wandering around in whatever the fuck car I own, listening to random albums that end up being on this list. The point of the album exchange is we each bring an album to this forum. We talk about it. We discuss it. We break it down. We talk about why we love it and why we think it deserves a place in the Trapo Essentials canon, which is... Let me tell you, it's already starting to get pretty crowded. Yeah. We're trying to find the best of the best, and not just in terms of music. The point is, we got fucking albums, people. Right. The idea, we take those albums that we deem essential, and we shove them into a fucking cannon, and eventually we're going to light the fuse and blast that fucker off into space, so that this amazing pop culture can be preserved, not from the human race, because we're doomed. Yeah, I'm talking fine. about crazy aliens. They live out there in space. They're going to listen to fucking Kate Bush's, what's the name of that album? Hounds <laughs> of Love. Hounds of Love. They're going to listen to Hounds of Love, and they're going to get their minds blown out through their ears, or whatever the fuck aliens have. I don't know what they have. But that's yeah. the canon. That's the Trapo Essentials canon. And today, we have two candidates for the Trapo Essentials canon. Last time, you went first because that was Jimi Hendrix, right? That was, yeah, yeah. you went first. So I'm going to go first this time. I'm going to throw out, uh, I'm going to throw out my jam. So this album came out in 1999, and it's from a band called Supergrass. And the name of the album, believe it or not, is also Supergrass. Yeah, I know. I know. Unfortunately, there is no title track on this album. Otherwise, we'd have the, uh, the, hat the triple stack right yeah. of Supergrass. Anyway, these guys, we got Gaz and Rob Coons. Gaz is the uh, lead singer. He's a front man, also likes to jam on the guitar. We got his brother, Rob, a virtuoso on the keyboards. Now, at this point, he was not technically an official member of the band, although if you listen to their first three albums, he's all over the place. You hear keyboards in almost every track. Then we got Mick Quinn, does the bass, backing vocals, and my man Danny Goffey, he's the drummer. He looks he looks like a Muppet. It works in his favor because the first time I ever saw Supergrass was in the music video for uh, their first hit single. In that video, the band is presented as goddamn puppets. They have human heads. It's the band, but 
everything else is a puppet. It's creepy as shit. It looks weird. I found it very off-putting at the time, but I was also hypnotized. I was entranced by this shit. Oddly enough, this music video, the, the puppets were actually, I may be wrong on this, but I believe the Jim Henson Creature Shop actually worked on this video. And the puppets look great. It's really good. It's really well done. The music video is charming. And uh, I like the song. And, you know, looking back, it is my least favorite song on the album. But I understand why. Really? I understand why that's their lead single, because it's fun. It's upbeat. It's got a great melody. And as an introduction to Supergrass, you really can't do better than that. I mean, I, you probably can. I'm not an expert by any means. But for me, it was a wonderful introduction to this band. Now, they'd made two albums beforehand. I like both of them, but I hadn't heard them yet. I heard Pump It On Your Stereo, and I was just intrigued as hell. At Circuit City, of all places, I found a copy of Supergrass just waiting for me. I brought it home, and I listened to it in my weird-ass monolithic CD changer, which looked Mm. a lot more... You remember, it it looked weirdly impressive, but it was a cheap piece of shit. It just looked big, and it glowed. Was that the one in the basement? Yeah, yeah. The whole thing about Supergrass, that was, for all I knew at the time, it was the name of the band. It was their self-titled album. I just assumed that was their first album. I didn't know anything about them, and I couldn't really look it up at the time because I had a Dreamcast. Internet. I remember. And, uh, it didn't work very well. So because the Google wasn't a thing yet. So you No, it wasn't. It was took a fucking window. hours to find web pages on that fucking Dreamcast. I remember that shit. Yeah. And there were like things that we wanted to know more. We're gonna fucking find it. I didn't know better. I thought Supergrass was their debut album. So I was like, this is a strong, sturdy debut. Uh one thing I would do uh, during this period of time, ninety-nine to God, I wanna say probably uh 2007, one thing I would do pretty frequently is I would just take walks around my neighborhood and wherever else. I would put my CD player in my backpack. I'd have my headphones on, and i just walk around. And uh, certain albums I had, they worked very well for those uh, late-night constitutionals. And Supergrass was definitely in heavy rotation for me. Most of the music on that album, it feels like walking music. Definitely. Moving, like the first track, that sets the mood. It sets the tone right there. You hear that music. It starts out with Gaz singing, and you just want to keep moving. One of the things I did when I specifically would put on Supergrass later when I was walking, I would listen to Supergrass specifically when I wanted to clear my head, basically. And that's what moving would help me do. That sets the tone right there. It's very um, melodic in that way. I always got a, a sense from the song and listening to it that it's like the character's trying to escape some the sort of deep-seated malaise or discontentment, maybe. He's trying to get away from something. When he sings, or wasting my time, he's just trying to get away from something that's bad in his life. I really like it because when he gets around to the end, he says, I feel I'm born again when it's over. I'll see optimistic you know it's not all doom and gloom like you're taking a walk you're not walking out on your family or your or your obligations you're just taking a walk to clear your head it just and i just can't stop messing my mind i just can't stop messing my mind up it's one of those songs like when you hear it sounds like the the character that, that that's being portrayed is just he's trying to get away from something he's just trying to feel better about himself 
And by the end of the song, it kind of sounds like he does because he keeps moving and he feels he's born again. It's like, you know, it's all right. I think I can turn around and go home now. I found moving to be just an infectious beginning. And I know whatever the fuck happens next, I'm going to roll with it. Having not listened to it for a long time. And like like you said, I, I know I heard it a lot during these times back then when we were playing video games and fucking getting stoned and listening to music later on and shit. Like, the first time I'd listened to it in a long time, like you said, that shit hooked me in and I was like, well, I'll listen to the rest of the album even if I hate the rest of every fucking song. I don't know, I'd probably listen to the rest of it just in case one other song is half as good as that. Yeah, I'm gonna check the rest of it out thoroughly because uh, uh, that was worth it. And then we move on to Your Love. It's good. It's a good song. I think your love might be a bit of a disappointment. I mean, the lyrics are maybe a little too saccharine at times, but I think the melody kind of saves it. They're moving on to... Purely based on the, on the music, on the instrumentation. I think it's my favorite song on the album. Uh, the other song, the second song, I was like, eh. And then the second you said the title, I didn't even... I was like, what went wrong? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so you, like, yeah. All right. Yeah. Right. And, and then the third song, you're like, okay, okay. Well, yeah. You motherfuckers. All right. What else in. you got? You're back in. It has this driving beat, and the, that bass line is just. If you actually listen to it, that bass line is really active. It's just. It's good stuff. It just conjures images in my head of just wandering late at night, which is what I used to do. This is tuned to a specific moment in my life, maybe 2003. I was walking to Quick Trip. I was listening to this this song, and you could feel it in the air. There was this, like, charge. You know there's a storm coming. You can see flashes of lightning in the distance. You're just waiting for the rain to fall. I was standing on a street corner. This is one of those storms that was coming on. There was no wind. It was just, it, you could tell it was just going to rain, and it was going to rain hard. I had this moment watching the streetlights just turn from green to yellow to red. Right when it hit red. The sky unzipped, and this deluge of rain just started pouring down. And this song was playing when that happened, and I had my hood on. What so went wrong yeah. with your <laughs> And so I have this this moment of me listening to this song, watching a street light turn red, and then the second it turned red, it just started raining cats and dogs. And it was just, it felt perfect. It was this perfect little moment. Was this a CD still in your pocket? Yeah, yeah. It's like it was in a Hollywood movie, like this. Cue rain, and then started raining. Were you in that fucking tan trench coat? It was tan, but it wasn't a trench coat. It had a, it had a hood. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew I was going to wear it because if it was going to rain, I needed to make sure I was wearing a hood. So I had to wear that, yeah. It was just this perfect moment. Lightning and thunder, driving rain. And I was walking home listening to Supergrass. It's crystallized. It's an amber in my head. This song, that moment, every time I listen to this song, that replays in my head. It's, it's, it's like a movie in my mind. And beautiful people is just claustrophobic as hell. It's just an existential dread in that song. It just feels very desperate. Like, I have to get out of this. There's got to there's gotta be something. probably isn't because you're a human being you're trapped in this planet with everybody else all these awful awful people cracked in the heat again dead on their feet again it feels like a death march to me it's just so grim but i think that's why i love it i like grim music i appreciate it 
We're moving on to Shot Over Hill, which there's something weirdly romantic about the way that Shot Over Hill begins. It has this sweeping musical introduction. That always made me wish that this song was used for like a traveling montage in like a, an early 2000s indie movie. It just right. feels too good not to use in that kind of context. I don't think it ever was. and I, I feel like that's a real missed opportunity. Beyond my really just enjoying the melody of the song, the lyrics all illustrate a change. It feels like the culmination of some kind of journey. Hear the sound of the wind. In the cold light of day, you can see it in my eyes. They've changed. And it's like, that's it, man. This is a journey. When we repeat the chorus, he says, uh, I'm just trying to carry on the life that I've made. That tells you the journey isn't over. It's not over for any of us. We're just trying to carry on the lives that we've made. And then we get to, oh God, Mary. Mary is just a straight up horror story. Just from beginning to end. That musical yeah. intro, because that, that's Rob Coombs on the fucking keyboard right there, that intro. It gives me a taxi driver vibe. It's like a Travis Bickle figure tooling around a decrepit city late at night in his beat-up yellow cab. His head's just filled with troubling thoughts. That's the intro to Mary conjures in my mind. Something bad is going to happen. Right after that, the imagery that conjured up by those lyrics, you combine that with this mounting dread of the actual melody as it plays on, it's a nightmare. Literally, it's in the, it's in the chorus. It's just like, that's, that's, that's fucking dark. That's dark. You feel a sneer in Gaz's voice when he sings. I'm gonna push you can feel that line. Yeah. For sure. There's a tremendous darkness behind that. And it leaves me this implication that, like, the singer's broken, hideous world is just consuming the lives and happiness of others. It's so fucked up. And it's great. And it's my favorite song on the album. Mary's just so mean. Just unrelentingly mean. Let me get to Jesus Came From Out of Space, which is just frivolous. It's kind and wonderful and fun. Yeah. You needed Jesus Came From Out of Space right after Mary. Otherwise, you'd be drowning in melancholy at that point. You needed something. You needed a major pick-me-up, and that's what Jesus Came From Out of Space gives you. You can't go wrong, man. I just love the lyrics. Jesus came from out of space and he traveled from beyond the stars. He came down for peace on earth. I mean, come on. It's fun. Then we got a... I don't know. There's nothing wrong with it. Compared to the other music on the album, it just feels a little hollow to me. Great beat. Infectious rhythm. Like I said, I get why this was the single. This is the lead single. It makes perfect sense. It's become my least favorite track on the album because of that. It just doesn't hit me the way that the other stuff does. When I mention this, you, you express some kind of surprise. I don't know. I think maybe it's just because it was like the most popular song from the album. It's also kind of got a cool walking beat. We get to Born Again. Begins with this haunting strings. It sounds like a, it's like a chorus of old screen doors. Then it just throws right into this kind of gorgeous melody. 
that's the perfect song to listen to when you're just walking around in the dark trying to figure out where it all went wrong. Part of me wishes the lyrics never really came into the song, that it was, that it remained an instrumental because the melody is simultaneously haunting and contemplative. I wish it was just five minutes of that of that melody, and I would have been perfectly satisfied. Now, the lyrics are fine. They imply the dissolution of a relationship, but ultimately it's optimistic because uh, they imply a more mature understanding and processing of the end of this relationship. So, I mean, it, it feels like there's a sense of maturity to the actual song and to the story being told. And that's fine. I have no issues with it. I just, I still kind of wish it were just an instrumental. I didn't really need the lyrics, if you know what I mean. Then we have Far Away, which just feels very contradictory to me. The lyrics are deliberately contradictory. It's about a person who's very dissatisfied with their life. It sounds like they're trying to fight against it, but in the end, they end up kind of settling into it for better or for worse just like like I'll make a start I don't know where to begin what does it matter I'm lost in space you're forcing my hand to make it plain there's a conflict there this character's drowning in a life they don't want and it feels tragic to me because of that just genuinely yeah I think the song's great and then we get to Mama and Papa which is a uh, a wonderful coda to this album it feels like a lullaby Kind of somber, maybe wistful farewell to childhood. It's saying goodbye to the first season of our lives. I think in a way it also kind of feels like a, a touching farewell to a, maybe the wilder, more anarchic version of the band that existed in their first two albums. The sound, many, uh, a lot of the fans, even the critics, they said it was sorely missing in Supergrass, their third album. Supergrass is more, you can put this in, in quotes, it's more grown up than I Should Coco or In It For The Money. A lot of people would even say boring, honestly. Well, I didn't think it was boring. But I mean, have you listened to those first two albums? No. Now, if you're coming at it from the perspective of an individual who was there from the beginning, listening to I Should Coco, and then you get to Supergrass, there's definitely a difference. Now, a lot of fans... And even critics complained that Supergrass, in their third album, was selling out. They were trying to make something more deliberately mainstream. It's a reaction to a band that's just experimenting with their sound. Yeah, usually their second or third album. Let's not do the same thing. Even if the album is more mainstream, if it has a more mainstream appeal, and I don't even know, why the fuck is that necessarily a problem? I don't want to come across like fucking Patrick Bateman and American Psycho trying to extol the virtues of Huey Lewis and the News really hit it off with sports. No, no, that's not what I'm doing. The whole album has a clear, crisp sound and a new sheen of consummate professionalism that really gives the songs a big boost. I'm just being genuinely sincere. I mean, there was a quote. I, I wish I could remember who did this, who said this quote. I think this articulated my mindset regarding the album better than I could have done on my own. It said, don't mistake weariness for laziness. The band was conjuring something else in terms of their mood, in terms of their uh, vibe. They were pushing hard to create something different and unusual with Supergrass. And ultimately, I think they succeeded. I really do. Anyway... Anyways, oh shit, is it my turn now? No, no. I would like to know your thoughts on Supergrass by Supergrass, starring Supergrass. Oh, fun fact. Did you know the band was originally called Theodore Supergrass? Did you, <laughs> did, did you know that? It's like a Teddy Pendergrass, Theodore yeah, Supergrass. 
they, they, they called themselves uh, Theodore Supergrass because the idea was that they were going to do like a pseudo gorillas thing before gorillas happened. Like they would have an avatar called Theodore Supergrass who would be a cartoon character and they would never have to be seen in public because of that. That was the original concept behind Supergrass as a band. Then they dropped it because they thought it was fucking stupid. Then Damon Albarn showed them, huh? Anyway, I would like to know your thoughts. What do you think of Supergraph? What do you think? I enjoyed this album. It was good. Like I said, moving was a good way to hook you in. And I like grass. That's well, super. Now that we've reached this point, I have to ask. You know, I've turned my key. You know, oh, I know. I know. Do you think Supergrass, my theater of Supergrass, Deserves to be in the Trapo Essentials canon. You know I do. I would have to turn my key. Happy day, joy of joy, Supergrass, our Supergrass, has officially been inducted into the Trapo Essentials canon. That leaves tonight's second pick. It's your pick, Kai. It's yours. It's all yours. Which, which means the floor is also yours. So take it away, motherfucker. Thrill me. Um, For my choice this evening... I tiredly and drunkly suggested 2008's Death Magnetic by Metallica. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and? I Um, was there. It's true. You were. Explain yourself. (laughs) Uh, I have to to ask, right off the bat, was it the Rick Rubin thing? Was it? No, actually. I totally forgot that that was a Rick Rubin album. He's not going to fuck you, Kai. You you could tug on that beard all night long. All nightmare long. long. See, I did it. That was a death magnetic reference for all you kids in the audience that don't get it. Josh, you may need need your kids to explain this to you. Um, That's a song on the album. We'll talk about it. It's a song, maybe. We might not. I don't know. Yeah. The floor is yours, tall boy. Um, I'm not really sure why this is the Metallica album I picked. You and me both. (laughs) (laughs) It's like I was in fucking bizarre world. (laughs) I was so fucking tired. I couldn't think of anything. I don't know why that's the thing that popped into my head. In fact, I think literally I thought, Death Magnetic! I just remember laughing so hard, waiting for him to say, Or are you unforgiven, three? And he never did. And being a little bit disappointed, really, but still enjoying the song. I mean, you knew. You knew intellectually. He was never going to find the justification to sing, Are you unforgiven, three? But you wanted it so bad. So, um, you know, it was uh, Metallica. Anyways, it starts out with... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this is really good podcasting right here. It starts out, this is just your life. <sighs> I don't know. This, is, this uh, is your pick. I know. This is your pick. I, I love the audacity you had. I think I want to take... <laughs> I think I want to end with Death Magnetic because I'm a fucking sadist. That, that, that's, <laughs> yes. that's, that's where your head was at. I, I, I Honestly, I, I like Supergrass better than Death Magnetic anyways. Let's just find the, the, the lament configuration and summon the fucking Cenobites and they'll take us to hell. We'll never, we'll never have to listen to Death Magnetic again. No, it'll be on fucking constant. Shit! That was just your lie! You know, it's kind of funny here, but I'm getting the feeling that even though this is your pick, you don't seem too committed to it. Now, am I wrong? Am I wrong no. here, Kai? 
No, you're you're you got the right feeling. Hey, you know what? You know what? Sometimes you make a vote and you regret that. Vote. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm okay with that. A lot of the songs on this on this album are six, seven, eight minutes long. Oh wait, no, that's all of them. <laughs> well, ex- except for my apocalypse, it's only like five minutes long, and it closes the album. So I mean, yeah, that's true. I don't know. It's it's fast. Yeah, but it doesn't feel fast. Oh, the album doesn't feel fast, no. Oh, God, no. It takes a while to build. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the time you get to uh, The Day That Never Comes, you're like 25 minutes, of the, 20 minutes into the fucking album. It's been a while. That's, that's the funny part because you hear like, Oh, the sunshine never comes. That's what it feels like by the time yeah. I reach that point in the album. Yeah. the sunshine never comes. That's how I felt listening to this album. The sunshine never comes. <laughs> sunshine ain't coming. Look, oh. Ty, I'm in a lot of here. Do you actually want to keep going with this album? Do you want to keep going? I have notes. Hey. I have copious notes on this album. Because <laughs> and why you tell like that? Like you that. gave me an extra week to contemplate Death Bag Bank. I listened to it two more times this week. Okay, yeah, I listened me. to it. I forgot about it. I listened to Supergrass. It starts out, Broken, Beat, and Scarred is a bad song. That's all I have. That's literally it. Yeah. Bro- broken, Beat, and Scarred is a bad song. This Was Your Life gets your blood pumping, but the song doesn't live up to that opening. Doesn't reach greatness, due in part to Hetfield's clumsy lyrics, and partly due to the song overstaying its welcome. All Nightmare Long is decent, and when Hetfield croons... Open the song. It's pretty great, and that's Ow. pretty great. That's good stuff. Cyanide, decent, but not terribly memorable. Yeah, Un- Unforgiven Three, damn good. I appreciate yeah. the the nautical romantic imagery the lyrics evoke, and the somber quiet intro really sets the tone. I was going to say, The Unforgiven 3, I think, is like a justifiably really good song. Absolutely. Amongst a, um, a wave of fast, but not real. But not, it's fast, but it doesn't really go anywhere. And then it's like something finally happens in The Unforgiven 3, and then that's kind of it. It's fast, but it doesn't go anywhere, which means it's just driving around in a circle. It's a treadmill. Yeah, it's a treadmill. It's what and it is. It's like you finally break out and you're running down the sidewalk for a minute and then you're back on the treadmill. I think Unforgiven 3 is the highlight of the album. I think if it was 50 minutes long, it would probably be right. really fucking good. <laughs> Cut 25 minutes out of the album. And like you said, almost all of them overstay their welcome at some point because they're all... Six, tw- six and a half minutes is the shortest song. Well, yeah, My Apocalypse is right around five minutes or something, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, My it's... Apocalypse is five minutes, yeah. Although, although right. honestly, yeah, this is my note. My Apocalypse has great moments, but considering it's the shortest song on the album, it feels too long, and I'm not sure if the lyrics name-dropping the album title are good or bad. Oh, so, yeah, that's that's the one. Death Magnetic! Death Magnetic! Death Magnetic! I didn't need to hear that title in, in, in lyrics. It, it sounds wrong as lyrics. And Judas Kiss, once again, let down by some clumsy lyrics, but the aggressive beat does a lot to make up for that. Now, here's, here's my highlight. Suicide and Redemption. Just a fantastic instrumental mini-movie. Yeah. Because James Hetfield has no lyrics to clumsy it up. Yeah. 
I was going to say, I, I think Unforgiven 3 and then Suicide Redemption are my two favorite songs off yeah. of this album. Yeah. Suicide Redemption's like fucking 10 minutes long. And you know what? And I it's okay. And it's the yeah. one that doesn't overstay its welcome. Right. <laughs> the nine and a half minute instrumental track is the one that feels like breezes by. It's also, it's a really good walking song. Like, if you feel like some shit's coming up behind you. Yeah. It's going to pop out behind those fucking bushes yeah. if you're wandering around yeah. at night. Like, uh, that's some kind of future Viking war about to happen when you're listening to that song. Shit's coming down. Oh, Ragnarok oh. is happening. <clears throat> I will give it up for Unforgiven 3 and Suicide Redemption. And even, and to a lesser extent, Cyanide. I think Cyanide's a pretty solid track. I'll level with you. Uh, overall, I don't like Death Magnetic. I dislike half the songs on this album. I don't mean they're okay. I mean, I dislike them. I don't want to listen to them again. Um, re-listening to it, like I said, we had uh, shared ideas for this, and I, I listened to that once, and then I listened to Supergrass like three times. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, shit. But you know, I have no regrets. I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll tell you, here's an interesting thing. When the album came out and we listened to it, it was you, me, and uh, Jim, right? We were, we listened to it out on in the backyard by the waterfall. We had my old uh, portable CD player out. And in that context, all three of us, we were kind of high. And uh, that CD player doesn't have the best quality audio anyway. We were listening to it. We had a pretty good time. We, we, we were kind of talking over half the songs. But uh, overall, that was, that was a good experience. I genuinely enjoy that. Right. I remember that, and I have very fond memories of that experience, of us hanging out, hearing the trickling of the waterfall, getting kind of toasted, listening to Death Magnetic in the middle of the night. That was a good night, I think. And, you know, I, I think that is why I suggested it that night. I was tired, and I, I pulled something. I was like, what's a good music memory? Oh, I remember we hung out and listened to fucking Death Magnetic outside. A lot of times when we were outside, we'd had our own headphones on and we were listening to a different shit. Even back when we had to carry around fucking CD players in our big-ass coat pockets and we needed big-ass coat pockets because we were going to be walking around for a minute. We might need two CDs. And I was like, hey, give me some David Bowie and you're all... said it's David Bowie CD in your fucking pocket. <laughs> I always had a David Bowie CD in my pocket. I always did. I just remember you handed me... I need something to listen to. You. Listen to Bowie. Sending <laughs> me a David Bowie CD somewhere in the dark. The thing is, this is the controversy that arose relatively quickly when the CD came out because the CD was mastered poorly. But there's a thing that happened called the loudness wars. Maybe you know about it, maybe you don't. But the idea was producers and uh, executives of, of record companies would mandate that albums would basically be as loud as possible on the CD. That was the idea. Make the songs as loud as they can be. And so a lot of that came down to mastering. And the mastering came down to flattening the song, compressing it in such a way that all the different tracks that made up the song kind of blended together and it became a distorted mess. Now, there is really no greater example of the folly of the loudness war than Death Magnetic because in listening to this album for the first time in literally years, it's been a long time, I was appalled 
the first time I listened to this album again uh, two weeks ago because it sounded so bad. The lyrics were distorted. It sounded like a fucking mess. It was a nightmare. There was a huge controversy about this because when Death Magnetic was released as DLC for one of those Guitar Hero games, a lot of people would rip Death Magnetic tracks from the DLC and they released it online as an alternate version of the album because it was uncompressed. I never listened to that album to that version but three four years ago there was the new version of the album officially released it's the only official version of the album you'll find on metallica's website this version does not have the compression issues from the original uh, cd version i bought this version of the album two weeks ago to listen to it i took cyanide as an example laid it out with my original cd version on a timeline on my editing software just to get a visual of the difference between the two tracks it's night and day. The CD version of Cyanide is a black bar in the actual, in the waveform. It's fucking yeah. insane. I listened to the um, uh, Amazon Music, and I noticed it was one of the Ultra HD remasters. And so it says Ultra HD remaster on each of the tracks. And I was like, yeah. oh, that's not the same CD track we listened yeah. to. That's the one you want to listen to, because guess what? It sounds like real fucking music. In terms of actual sound quality, the newly mastered version is night and day. It's it's a revelation. But, unfortunately, that doesn't do anything to improve the actual quality of the music itself. And so I'm left with a terrible burden. I've already told you. Overall, I basically dislike this album. I like two songs on the album, really. I, I love two songs on this album. I'll love it with you. I love them. Unforgiven 3 and uh, Suicide and Redemption top marks in my book cyanide fuck it i'll take it why not but uh i could take or leave everything else on death magnetic i personally like the day that never comes i feel like james hetfield's lyrics and the latter half of the song kind of ruin it what he's like that stuff gets really garbled i don't like the lyrical content yeah the sun will rise I don't like it. I don't like it. It's clumsy. It's kind of childish. I'm not going to say James Hetfield was a fucking poet in his earlier music, but man, his lyrics are not on point in this album overall. They're just not there. There's some Apparently high... it, gets, it gets worse on Hardwired. Oh yeah, I for... spoiler alert, I forgot. Yeah, yeah. Listen to that on your own. You have a good time. But look, this is coming from a guy who believes genuinely in his heart that Load and Reload are the best Metallica albums. My favorite Metallica albums are Load and Reload. So my opinion can be taken with a shaker of salt. But my least favorite Metallica albums are their last three albums. Yeah. So yeah, I, my opinion is fucked. In terms of Metallica fans, I'm a pariah. So don't take my word for it. Like I said, I, I kind of threw this one out, and I don't have any regrets. But I don't even know if I would put this in the canon. I think maybe this is the first reject the oh, first double reject. Okay. And hopefully the last, because hopefully next time we won't waste our time talking about something uh -huh. we don't really like that much. Well, <laughs> can, uh, yeah, can, I, can I tell you, can I, honestly, when you mentioned Death Magnetic the last time we had the conversation, and uh, the first time I listened to it again, I felt so bad because I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to reject this album. I can't do it. <laughs> what am I going to I don't want to reject like, uh, I don't want to have to argue with yeah. him. Uh, I don't, I don't want to make Kai feel bad because i i really i want this to be a, a like an upbeat kind of podcast but fuck i can't put this in the canon two minutes into this conversation where you were talking about 
I don't know. Oh, thank, <laughs> fuck, thank fucking Christ. I thank don't God. have to worry. I've been flop sweating for nothing. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. I think this is one where uh, maybe Rick Rubin should have said, maybe we should trim it down a little bit. Maybe he could have added a little more input. Are we not turning our keys for Death Magnetic? Is that happening? Is that what's happening? You know what? I think we should throw it in the fucking garbage fire. I think if it doesn't go in the cannon, it goes in the garbage fire. I'm going to make a compromise. I think we can put Unforgiven 3 and Suicide Redemption in the cannon. I think we can do that. Yeah, we can both agree there, right? Yeah, as, yeah, as solo songs, yeah. Yeah. They, they could be on the mixtape. The Trapo Cannon mixtape. Sure, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Because here's the thing. I don't want to throw those songs away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Those two are worth keeping. If, if it's a, if it's an all or nothing, eh. But if we can uh, create, like, a mixtape that we have just the songs and then the album, uh, the album can fuck off as a whole, but we can pull a couple songs off. I, I would agree. Yeah, Unforgiven I'm... 3 and Suicide Redemption are the first two songs in the Trapo mixtape. But Death Magnetic can fucking go in the uh, toilet. Don't, <laughs> I'm gonna flush you down the fucking the Trapple Essentials toilet. We've made it official. Death Magnetic is not going to canon. I kind of feel bad, so, uh... Now, here's the thing. I'm throwing a curveball at the audience right now. Ladies and gentlemen, we had a secret plan. A secret plan. We discussed this off-air. But we're thinking of, of something... Yeah, I'm telling them. The, uh, the wild card round. The wild card round is, uh... Each one of us has come up with an album that we don't tell the other person about. We throw our wild card album out there. We defend it vociferously to see if we can get that album locked in the canon. And I feel, based on what just happened with uh, this unprecedented uh, death magnetic situation, I feel like, Kai, you need to go first and throw out your wild card pick. I'm going to fucking mix it up. 1996's self-titled album by Sublime. I don't practice Santeria. I ain't got no crystal ball. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Kai, don't make me reject two of your albums just offhand. I can't do it. Don't, don't make me do this. You'd, re- you'd reject Sublime? I would reject Sublime eight days a week. Eight days a week. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you want to. Look, hey, Kai, you want to swing for the fences? Go for it. Pull my ass apart. Do it. No. I was sweating bullets when you said that. That's sublime, <laughs> you bastard. No, I was um, doubling down on the Rick Rubin love and was going to go with 2001's Toxicity. I know about the, the toxicity in our city. Well, it was just kind of a... A weird time in the world when this album came out, especially for me, because I had left home and moved to college in the middle of fucking country. I mean, deep country, western Kansas country. People don't know about that shit. They don't. <laughs> not, not unless they've been there. Unless, of course, they've driven down I-70 and been like, where the fuck are we? Why isn't there anything? Just nothing. For a really long time. And then finally, eventually, you'll see mountains. Um, so, I mean, it was 2001. The shit came out, like, right in September of 2001, right before 9-11 and all that shit. It was kind of like a, it had a lot of political themes. And then uh, there was, like, shit like Rage Against the Machine was also popular at the time. So there was kind of, like, 
a lot of uh, rock that involved other things in the world. I was starting to listen to this shit. I heard it on the radio in Wichita, but ooh, this one was produced by Rick Rubin. Surprise! <laughs> Surprise, motherfucker! <laughs> I was either gonna uh, go with Sublime or um, a Red Hot Chili Peppers album, but I figured you would have actually wanted to talk about that one. You'd have been like, oh, fuck it, alright. Let's Look, talk what- about Californication right Look- now. Californication is still there. That's why I was like, no, he'd be down for that one. I haven't listened. I mean, I could recall all of those songs. They're embedded within my brain. You know, Serge Tonkian and Darren Malakian are basically the the two guys who wrote all the music um, for System of a Down. And so unlike Death Magnetic, these songs are fucking mostly three minutes long or less. They don't overstay their welcome. And they do not overstay their welcome. They get up in your fucking tits, and then they get the fuck out of there. Prison song starts it off. Prison song, needles, deer dance, weird titles. Serge's fucking lyrics are also kind of similar to um, Chili Pepper's lyrics in that if you read them on paper, that don't make no sense. But then you hear it and you're like, oh, that's a good song. With the, well, <laughs> fuck, I don't know. I learned that lesson with the Red Hot Chili Peppers a long time ago. So anyways, you know, like. But no, I won't agree with like, that, actually. There's a lot of lyrics that Serge Tankian's uh, throwing out that actually do have a deeper do, meaning. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. Probably, yeah. More so than Chili Peppers lyrics are definitely molded to the music to make you feel a certain way. But, like, in Prison Song, there's a fucking theme in the lyrics also while shredding your head off with the music. They're trying to build a prison! They're trying to build a prison! It's just a banger, man. Yeah, and so that's quite a fucking a, a way to start that shit out. Yeah, that's your open. Right there. That's just right. fucking hardcore. <laughs> so the first song is about prison. The second song is like about drugs. If you get your headphones in, if you have your volume up, it's going to fuck your hearing up. Many a little tweeters got blown. And then, you know, Needles is about weird shit and pulling the tapeworm out of your ass. And you, a parasite. My tapeworm tells me what to do. Many years later, I would take parasitology in college at uh, Wichita State University and, like, dissect actual tapeworms. And the whole time, I'm like, this motherfucker's telling me what to do. I need to cut him open right now. I don't know. The song was always in my head when I was in that class. Anyways, the third song, Deer Dance. For, for a long time, I thought he said pussy little children with their fully automatics, but it says pussy little children with their fully automatics. Either way, it's, I don't know. It works um, either way. Pussy little children with their fully automatics. Yeah, okay. But yeah. Cowards with their big guns. 255. It's not that long, so it's, it's okay. What was that all? Yeah, it's I would like agree. Nine this, and a half this. minutes long, like half the songs on Death Magnetic. Exactly. Um, Maybe it gets better seven minutes in. Let's find out. Oh, no, it doesn't. Never mind. I just wasted ten minutes of my life. <laughs> the, the next song on Toxicity, you know, Jet Pilot, is just a weird fucking screaming rant of like a couple lines over and over and over and over. Wired were the eyes of a horse on a jet pilot. It's like, what the fuck is happening? I don't know. I don't know. It's freaking me out. And then it's over and that's it. And then you don't know what happened. And it makes me laugh every time because I don't know what the fuck is happening. But but it sounds dramatic. It sounds like something's really happening. And you're like, no, he's just screaming at me. 
Doesn't he say my horse is a shackled old man? I swear to God. My horse is a shackled old man. I swear to God, he says my horse is a shackled old man. Oh yeah, my That's, yeah. I pulled up the yeah, but, and it's no, right it's the, at the very beginning. My horse is a shackled old man. No, it doesn't make any sense in my brain, but in my heart, <laughs> it feels good. Yeah, exactly. What are the eyes of a horse and a jet pilot? Yeah, this what one, is, this is the Chili Peppers style lyrics, where it's like, I don't know what the fuck is happening, but it feels good. It feels right. Yeah. X is a good song about immigration and the fucking Armenian genocide and a lot of other shit. But then Chop Suey is next. And you know that's the probably the most famous song off this album. And and you know everyone everyone thinks, Grandma, why don't you put a little makeup? And I say, Grandma, put a little makeup. But it sure sounds like he says, Grandma, put on a little makeup. It's like, damn, bro, just yell at my grandma. This motherfucker, chill. But yeah, you can definitely feel his um, passion in the lyrics of this song. I mean, he goes fucking all in on all of the shit, but like. This one, it feels like wherever the fuck he's coming from with all this shit, it was some deep shit, and he means it. <laughs> Whatever the fuck it is, it means. Why'd you leave the keys up on the table? It looks like gibberish if you look at it, you know. <laughs> it's fucking weird. It's great. And that's all that fucking matters. It's not just music. There's definitely a message behind System of a Down's musical output. There's something there. There's an intelligence and a reason behind it. Which definitely sets them apart from a lot of uh, their uh, contemporaries. Yeah. I, I give them the edge just for that. They yeah. weren't just making music. They had an agenda, but it yeah. wasn't. they weren't beating you over the head with that agenda. It was just in the music. Yeah, it wasn't as blatant as um, like Rage Against the Machine, like I mentioned earlier. But it I mean, was also, it felt yeah. as powerful at times. And you're like, I don't know what the fuck this means, but I feel like I want to fight the man. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what the fuck ever, you know, we'll get, I don't know, maybe we'll have to do a whole rage episode too. Anyways, after the fucking weird three and a half minute masterpiece chop suey is fucking bounce. We, uh, we would have been, well, we would have graduated in 2001. We were seniors at that time. And, uh, I remember talking about this album to one of my friends friends older brothers who years later played bass in a bunch of bands and shit this song was on in my car when i was like leaving their house it was actually <laughs> mr tuxedo's older brother oh no <laughs> not mr tuxedo mm-hmm. his older brother Derek, who was way cooler but Derek was like you you know what that song's about right i don't know it's just loud and it's blaring <laughs> he was like it's about sex dude being a fucking 17 year old it took me about three kids say oh I like to spread you out. Come on, that's what the fuck is he saying there? That's you know so what he's saying. that's so dirty. I like to spread you out. I love it. That's good. Yeah, and that's, that's one good. of the short, short, fast ones, and then he just starts screaming it. Done, and then it goes right into forest, which is. Dun, 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 dun. Which kind of like chills you out for a minute. I don't know. It's one of those, another one of those things like, uh, uh, I don't know what the fuck he's talking about, but goddamn, he feels passionate about it. Child. Well, I don't know. I don't know, bro, but you sure sound like I'm your, I'm your, I'm your kid. It's like, I feel it. It's also one of those songs that's really like looking at the lyrics. It's like five or six lines and then a couple bridges and then like five or six lines over and over and over. But it, it's fucking, it's good. Um, 
potentially as a as a surprise. My favorite song on the album is Atwa, Air Trees, Water Animals. I listened to the whole album twice, uh, maybe yesterday and today, today and today. And I was like, ah, God damn, I love this song. I think uh, all the world I've seen before me. Passing by, yeah, yeah. It's such a cool fucking lyric. Yeah, There's a lot it of is. weird, weird shit you can think about, especially if you feel like the world has passed you by, or you feel like the world is passing you by and shit. When we were fucking seventeen, and you hear this shit, and the Twin Towers just got fucking hit. I just always fucking love that song. You don't care about how I feel. I don't feel that right anymore. You don't care about how I feel. I don't feel that right anymore. Me and my college roommate watched the second uh, plane hit on fucking TV at like 8 in the morning or whatever it was. Yeah, time. that was awful. I was getting up for class, but he didn't have class yet. And I was like, some shit's going on. You need to wake the fuck up. And I turned our TV on. That was a nightmare, man. I was watching the Today Show. Oh, my God. The plane just crashed in the World Trade Center. And I'm watching this. And I'm losing my mind. Like, what the fuck happened? I watched the second plane hit the tower and like oh my god the world's ending this is it 20 minutes later i turned the tv off and just put a pillow over my head and head in the dark because i was like this is it it's the end of the world a half hour later your grandma came downstairs because she was gonna do the laundry she said wake up we're under attack that's how she woke me up (laughs) i don't remember you ever telling me she comes downstairs to do the laundry opens my door and says wake up we're under attack and then just goes and does the laundry I mean, I'm All sorry. the world I've seen before me passing by. We're way off track. I'm so sorry. Keep going. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that's my favorite fucking song. For some reason, it just stuck in my heart. You know, Chop Suey, Toxicity, Aerials, they're all amazing also. Science is good and funny and fucking weird. And then it's over. And then Shimmy kicks you in the mouth for like a minute and a half, a minute and 50 seconds. And then, and then that's it. And then it uh, rolls into toxicity. It's been a long time since System of a Down has actually gotten together and made music. Yeah. That blows me away. I guess it's just because when this music came out, it feels kind of like it's trapped in amber. It feels current to me, even though it's like, what, fucking like yeah. 20 years old? It's 20 years old. So it's just yeah. weird. Like, oh, and, yeah, toxicity, uh, right? That was, a, that was a big hit. Oh, wait, wait, 2001, what, 20 years ago? Oh, my God, right. no. Don't tell me that. It's been 20 years? Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm so old. It really kind of fucks with your perception of time when you realize this album that still seems so fresh in your mind has been out for 20 years. That happens with fucking Tom Petty's Wildflowers, and that shit came out in, like, 94. (laughs) This album's been out for, like, 30 fucking years. I was was like, 11 years old this album came out. What the fuck? Um... I don't know, fuck, Toxicity is just, title track is fucking amazing. There's the strange shit, Psycho. Psycho! 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 And that's probably, I'd say, 80% of the lyrics of the song. Psycho groupie, cocaine crazy, psycho groupie, coke. Makes you high, makes you high. It makes you really want to go. That was like, that, that was like a That's pretty much it. <laughs> I listen to that song so many fucking times. I'm like, just yeah. sit in the dark with a cigarette in my mouth. Yeah. It's coming. It's coming. I, re- I remember in the early 2000s, there was that and some Marilyn Manson and shit we listened to in the dark really fucking loud for no reason. Real, no, <laughs> real quick, just off the cuff reaction, what's your favorite Manson album? Just just give mm. me your, your heart's answer right now. I don't know. 
What does your heart say, Kai? I know this is a big tangent, but I just really want to know for some strange reason right now, what is your favorite Manson album? I mean... I guess the real question should be, what's your favorite Manson album, and why is it Hollywood? <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, you know, eat me, drink me, no. <laughs> and I was going to stab you in the throat. <laughs> Probably mechanical animals. Yeah, that's a fucking the right answer. The one. It's a, that's the right answer. And Antichrist is pretty good. Hail Emperor, maybe. That was his newer one. One of the newer ones was decent. I mean, out of his newer stuff, I prefer the high and the low, but that's just... Yeah, is the, yeah I couldn't... One of those two, I, I, I think I, both of them were decent, but one of them I liked a lot more. I can't remember what. It's been a while. I think, it's been a few I think, years since I've listened to him. I think Four Rusted Horses is just a, a fantastic yes. song. That's yeah. Is that is that on? Yeah, it's on, it's on high and low. Okay. Everyone yeah. will come. That's a great yeah. line. That's yeah, a great I remember line. that. I, that like that line is a horror movie in itself. That song is. I know. Look, it may be my favorite Manson song. Period. That's great. There's this such a wonderful imagery in that song. Yeah. He does, but then again, "Run Into the Edge of the World" is almost like a the like a nihilistic opera romance. ballad version yeah. of that. Yeah, it's beautiful. Okay. You know what I, we should I, do with these bands that we like, like Manson and Rage? We should have an album debate and listen to all of them. Uh, and you, we should. You have, or you know what? This one's okay. Right. This one came in second. Oh, I think that one's third. I like this right. one better. You want to do that? We should right. do that. Absolutely. Yeah. But we are way off topic right now. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. We we just ended with was it Psycho or was it Yeah Oh well, well yeah but well, there we go we got aerials there we go all right I have a lot of um, memories of driving through Kansas in the dark with uh, some of my friends other than you listening to that song one of my female friends she was like only until kind of like pop music and shit you know young lady stuff. And then I put that album on, and that song came on. The second time she was, like, singing it with me, I think that opened, like, a part. I was like, oh, rock music has some cool lyrics, and, you know, like, I could, I think I could get into this. So, I don't know. I'm still friends with her all these years later, and, like, that's something that she also remembers. And it was, like, from the second time. We drink from the river and turn around and put up a wall. We drink from the void, we hear the world. We lose ourselves, but we find it all. Yeah, that that line right there is also super. We lose ourselves, we lose ourselves but, we but we find, find it, it all. all. Like that's because, great, man. And that's something you only know like when you get older, or if you're a celebrity, you realize that you lose a part of yourself to get all of that, especially if it's something you tried for a long time. You know, if you're a child celebrity, that's different. But if you're someone who's tried at it for a long time, you finally found it. It's a good way to end the album, honestly. Yeah. I remember when we listened to uh, their self-titled album a few times as we were driving around, and I really latched onto it. I listened to that one, actually, today. It was, as I remember, like you said, a sinister rock album. Yeah. It was like, oh, this is, and like each song was its own thing, whereas I think the evolution and toxicity is how it flowed together. Even though this, it's not like a concept album, the songs have nothing to fucking do with each other, but the way they're put together is a lot more than song number one, song number two. But they're not connected, it's just like, it, it just it just flows as a whole thing in like this weird rhythm of hard in your face shit and then something that chills and even the chill stuff is three minutes long right. it's not nine minutes long it's three and a half minutes long and even then it's 
quote chill is not chill. You're still mm-hmm. getting screamed at, and there's still some. But it's not quite as intense. I don't know. Ariel's is just fucking perfect. That's another one of those bands. I don't know if we would have found them if it weren't for MTV. Watching the music videos, I don't know if yeah. we would have found System of a Down. Honestly, I mean System and then uh, and- Queens of the Stone Age, the first music video off the first album uh monsters in the parasol with the fucking milk carton running around i I was at my dad and stepmom's house and mtv was playing like my stepsister's tv and i walked by and i was like what the fuck is this i never would have found supergrass if it weren't for mtv it would have taken a long time for me to find that album that's how i found queens of the stone age you know that's how we both found them Mm -hmm. and this is the kind of music that helped like shape our our lives at a certain point this is part of our the fabric of our souls like yeah 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 i found them through mtv Mm -hmm. my teenage daughters in the 2020s said they were like the early 2000s had some great music and i was like you don't even fucking know that half of it (laughs) you've hit hit the pop music and some of the pop music was really fucking good some of the shitty throwaway pop music was actually pretty 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 good um they played uh Mr. Brightside, and I was like, this is one of the most played songs in the fucking universe. <laughs> it absolutely is, but guess what? And it's you know what? Pretty, pretty, pretty good. And, and I was singing along with him. It's infectious. It gets in your brain. So, okay, here, here's the deal, Kai. I'm turning my key for toxicity. We're putting that bitch in. Uh, death magnetic, sorry. But uh, toxicity, you know what? I feel like I redeemed myself with a much well, better <laughs> You have. Death it's magnetic. On, it's it could bridge. only get better. Toxicity from System of the Down has officially been inducted into the Trepo Essentials canon. Now, my wild card pick is from, uh, it's actually brand fucking new. It's 2021's oh, in standard definition from Art Deco. <laughs> I listened to Trespasser, his first official album, 2018. Now, this album, it's it's a melancholy album. It's a sad, bastard kind of album, but it gripped me. This music kind of spoke to me. I wasn't 100% on board, but uh, when I heard his first single from uh, what became his 2021 follow-up album in standard definition called Desires... was immediately in love and i sent you a link to that music video after i watched it and i was just thrilled this felt like a revelation to me i had been waiting for this music my entire life i don't like to oversell (laughs) shit but i don't often buy albums on vinyl i usually buy if i buy them i buy them digital but i had to buy in standard definition on vinyl i bought the silver screen edition with the signed poster because i needed something signed by our wow. and the, the, the first time i listened to, the, to this album i listened to it on vinyl on my record player on my sound system and i was in heaven i'm not going to exaggerate here. i have listened to in standard definition 17 times front to back since i bought the album 16 of these times have been on vinyl <laughs> only one time has been digital 
I've never done that before. Out of all the albums I own, the one I've listened to the most is probably uh, Ziggy Stardust, and that's maybe nine times. I was I was going to say, if it's not Ziggy Stardust, I'm not sure what's up there, but that's the one I would yeah, that, put. And that's nine times. That's not even double digits. I've listened to in standard definition 16 times on vinyl. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. I'm not going to bullshit you. In standard definition has become... Not just my favorite album of 2021. It is one of my favorite albums of all time. Wow. This album has become something legendary in my mind. There's something new and wonderful in every time. The idea that this guy saw a, a black bobbed wig in the window of a shop in British Columbia, and that started this transformation into Art Deco as a character, as a musician, as a persona. He just disappeared. He made Trespasser, which is an amazing album if you've ever listened to it. It's an amazing album, but it's not perfect. It feels like the hunky-dory to, in standard definitions, the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. It's the chrysalis before it emerges and becomes a butterfly that is in standard definition. And the story behind in standard definition, there was a pandemic, the world was on pause, and this guy had a home studio, and he decided, you know what? He's going to create something the way it was created in the 70s and the 80s, but he's not making a 70s throwback album. He's not making a Roxy music album. He's not emulating David Bowie when he was in in his Berlin trilogy. He's not going after that sound. He's taking all these wonderful elements from the 70s and 80s, and he's creating something new and innovative. He's moving forward. The result is one of the best albums I've ever heard. I I really hate to, to talk like this because it feels like I'm just being hyperbolic, but In Standard Definition absolutely blew me away the first time I listened to it. And the 15th time I listened to it. It is an album that I'm in love with. I'm in love with this fucking album. He, he does an approach kind of like what uh, Brian Wilson did with the old Beach Boys records. When he'd bring in musician after musician, the musicians have no idea how it's going to be used. And maybe he doesn't either because he's experimenting. He takes all these bits and pieces that he's recorded and then just massages them into a final, complete album. And the way he does it, it, it absolutely thrills me. The way he crafts this music, it's just, a, it's an amazing thing. The idea of In Standard Definition as an album is that it's about entertainment in an analog era. A lot of it's from the perspective of the individuals making the entertainment, but a, but some of it is actually from the perspective of people who are watching it, the viewers, the listeners. It starts with desires. I mean, that's the end of the line. You've become your own worst enemy. You're consumed by the ambitions of your youth. I mean, like, when you listen to lyrics, like, he says, Did you make it far? It sounds like the singer is taunting himself. They've never reached that peak. They always dreamed they could reach, and now it's time to rest. That's the end. We just put some dirt on me. It's time to bury me because it's over. We done. And it's it's a beautiful, beautiful beginning to this album because it really does set a, a wonderful tone. There's this relentless beat. It's this nervous energy. When you get to the end of the song, you hear Art Deco singing. He's not just singing it. He's wailing it. Right. It's like a lament. Over and over, I give you all I can, but it's never enough. And that that's the unspoken part of that sentence. 
it's never enough. In standard definition is, is a concept album, but it's a loose concept at best. I mean, TV God's about the danger of falling in love with that seductive figure on the other side of the TV screen, you know? Mm-hmm. He says his gaze upon me, I just find a way to throw it off. But he says his gaze upon me. I mean, it, it illustrates the like this kind of unnerving nature of the whole thing. The vocal delivery helps sell it, and it's perfect. And then, like, Bird of Prey, I think, ultimately, is the weakest song on the album. That's me saying it's a perfect album, so, you know, take that as you can. But that leads right into uh, Nothing Ever Changes. It's like this heavy kind of post-breakup song from a John Hughes movie that never existed. The melody is entrancing. Art Deco's vocals, there's this dreamy echo. always the same there's this echo that just breaks my heart listening to that song yeah i i do recall feeling and then you get to that's just pure sweat and swagger this energetic figure just cutting loose he's leaving it all out there every time he arrives in the scene he gets on that dance floor he tears it up and he fucking disappears there's so much bravado in that song it's like a walking hard on man when i glide in i'm a full-grown man and the back fuck yes right, right there man that's good shit man and that leads you right into head rush and head rush in terms of its overall beat that melody it's purity endless summer days man you're out there you're riding your bike feeling invincible so don't think those days are ever gonna end there's also a sense in the actual lyrics you're looking back on those times trying to reclaim that because he says if it's all right with you will you let me go there a little while someone later in life looking back at their youth and wishing they could go back it almost feels like a warning enjoy these moments while they last because they're gone way too soon it's right at the beginning of the song he says the golden age is sunny days are here but it's quick feeling right there yeah, for sure right. for anyone who's over the age of like 25 30 yeah i felt that that leads you to channel seven or pilot season it's muzak he constructed that track as like the musical soundtrack to one of those old viewing guide channels like a tv guide channel like pre-digital cable that's what uh, that's what channel seven is basically my favorite song on the album is the title track in standard definition. I would agree with that. I, I need to let you know that I, I listened to this music, actually, this album before, because uh, one of the ways I, during uh, COVID quarantine, found new music was listening to the NPR music podcast. Bob Boylan also enjoys Art Deco, and he was like, the new Art Deco album is fucking amazing. So I had listened to it, and I was like, while I was walking around one day, I was like, this shit's weird, but it's pretty good. And then you had mentioned it one day, and I was like, what the fuck is that? Here's the thing about In Standard Definition as a song. I want you to listen to it again, and next time when you listen to it, think about Blondie. Honestly, yeah. think, about, think about Debbie Harry, because this is a lost Blondie song. Those lyrics in your head are being sung by Debbie Harry. Her voice right. is just, it's right there in the melody. Just the way he sings the chorus. I dream of standard definition. 
Yeah, that's the part I remember it. And, and I remember thinking, huh, that seems to be true. The way I remember dreaming, it wasn't super clear. It wasn't fucking HD, that's for sure. That's how dreams feel. Speaking of dreams, one of your dreams is now a, uh, a video game. It's called a Bottle Fill. Literally, you have to match the colors, and you drain bottles from one to the other. So one of your weird dream nightmares of, of pouring water from one beaker to oh, another is God. now a fucking goddamn app. It's a fucking nightmare. Speaking of nightmares, let's move on to the message, which kind of feels like a nightmare to me. In the best possible way. It's got this great kind of ominous sci-fi vibe. It just pushes my buttons. I'll level with you. Just right off the bat. It's got a haunting melody. The way the song is constructed, it feels like something important is trying to come through. But the transmission... Something important is being lost there. As the song goes on, when you reach the last third, the melody becomes lost in this, like, sea of reverb fuzz and this ruined broadcast from some unknown foreign movie being picked up from God knows where. And then we get to Channel 11, also known as Reruns. I think that may be my favorite song on the album. It made of me subconscious, but you know why it's why? your favorite song, Kai? It's a reprise of In Standard Definition. The, the chord progression of In Standard Definition and of Channel 11 is identical. It's a rerun of In Standard Definition. This is the song that made me wish that Art Deco would build a collection of these instrumental experiments and then just release an album of them. Like Trent Reznor's first Ghosts album. Yeah, I want Art Deco to make a, his own Ghosts album. Between Channel 7 and Channel 11 and Trespasser, the title track from his last album, this son of a bitch knows what he's doing. He can make amazing instrumental music. That leaves us with the uh, final track of the album called I Remember, which is this ethereal kind of half-remembered dream. It's really more of a denouement. It's the end credits of In Standard Definition as an album. I implore you once again, listen to I Remember One More Time and think of it in the same vein as like a Julie Cruz song. Listen to I Remember One More Time and you will hear Julie Cruz singing this song. It's, it's uncanny. It's absolutely uncanny. It's haunting and romantic. There's a moment when the strings kick in after the second verse. My heart just melts. Like those lyrics just... Draped in the feel of the melody I like after. I remember... Beautiful sentiment. It's like the first time I listened to I Remember, I cried. I couldn't help myself. I'm a very emotional person when it comes to music. <laughs> One of the few things that can really unlock my emotions is music. And music, when it does it, uh, it fucking unzips me. And yeah. the first time I heard this song, I just started weeping. I could not ask for a better way for an album to end than I remember on In Standard Definition. It is one of my favorite albums from one of my favorite artists. This son of a bitch made a masterpiece the second time out. A masterpiece. I don't use that term lightly. Art Deco 
made in standard definition a goddamn masterpiece. And it is one of the best albums I have ever heard in my life. I threw down the gauntlet. Well, did it. that's quite a surprise. And I'm glad I listened to the shit. But uh, I, I didn't listen to it 17 times. I'll say that. But uh, it's unabashedly weird. Yeah. But it just kept getting weird. <laughs> and, then I, and then I was all in. I gotta tell you, obviously you turned your key on fucking Art Deco's in standard definition. Goddamn second you heard it the first time. I listened to it two or three times maybe altogether, and uh, I would I would turn my key. I would put that shit in the can- canon, and I think this shit is good. And Dick Blood 69. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, in standard definition by Art Deco has now officially been inducted into the Trapo Essentials canon. I think we that's our second album exchange. I think we've done a good job so far. We kicked some ass. I'm I'm proud of us, Kai. Well, I mean, Death Magnetic happened, but... Uh, well, yeah, but we can uh, forget about... Hey. hey, look, the good songs made the cut. Yeah, the good hey, songs yep. made the cut. Yep, we started a new thing with the uh, mixtape. Just waiting for more inductees on its own. Inductees yeah. from the rejects. Anyway, we have an email address. This is the official Trapo email address. I don't know. Maybe, Kai, you want to tell the people about our official email address? I think it involves Dick Blood. Is that correct? Absolutely. Dick Blood. Blood has two Ds. DickBlood69 at gmail.com. Double Ds on the blood. Oh, yeah. Double (laughs) Ds. That's the official Trapo email. I need to stress this. It's not a joke. It's the real deal. Send us an email at dickblood, D-L-O-O, double D, six nine, at gmail.com. We will, we will read it. We will gladly read it. Someone might, just has to send us an email first. Yeah, just send us an email, and we might respond to your email. We might do it on the air. Tell us how stupid we are. I don't care. Tell we, us we're the worst. We do not care about your criticisms. Oh, oh I shouldn't God. have said that. Like, if we cared about criticism, we would have stopped doing this nine years ago. We've been doing this for true. a long time, Kai. It's been a long time. You started recording our conversations at fucking Denny's with a tape recorder. You're right. 20 fucking years ago, so... And, Oh, but yeah, that's our email address. We've got plans, okay? Trapo is going to go on for a while because we just got shit to say. That's it for this episode of the show that talks about stuff on purpose. Trapo, Trapo. Trapo. My name has been Dustin. My name used to be Kai. And uh, get the fuck off the internet. Show that talks about stuff on purpose is a Fenderman Incorporated production.